It's Monday, July 20th. We have the founder and director of Happily Natural Day, Duran Chavis. The results of our quarantine houses are coming in quick. And a new restaurant opens. Welcome to Eat It, Virginia. Hello and welcome to Eat It Virginia. My name is Scott Wise and I am joined as always by my friend, my friend, Roby Martin. Roby, we had a great talk today with Duran Chavis. He is happily natural day. He is a force. I got to tell you, he is a real force. And I'm actually, I, I really enjoy, I'm actually just glad to have finally met him. I realize that it's Zoom, but I read so much about what he's doing and face-to-face, I mean, via a laptop, it's really cool. And I don't want to like tease too much into our interview with him, but I think you committed yourself to his cause a little bit there. You know what? I think that I should do some volunteering. So that is that is my next step. Yes. Yeah. Good. It's good you for mean? you. I look forward yeah, to seeing good for you. your Instagram stories when you're out there sweating in the gardens with Duran. Shovel to dirt, man. Shovel to dirt. So we wanted to follow up with something that we talked about on the last podcast. And this was our quarantine house uh, game, our survivor game. And I looked at the, just to back up for a second, we created this game where Roby and I both created quarantine homes with people we've interviewed on the podcast. And basically the premise was, who would we want to be locked in a house with for as long as the COVID quarantine um, existed? And the results are in. Scott created. I think I won. I think I won. You created. Yeah. How does it feel to be losing at a game that you created? I think I won. Oh, wait, what? You're saying that I'm (laughs) losing? Oh, you 100% are losing. Actually, it's more than 100%. But you know what? No one loses in this game. But I am winning. (laughs) I have some theories. Oh, why are you losing? Well, yes. Okay, let's have these. (laughs) All right, so... Again, people were voting on our social media. Which house would they rather live in, Team Roby or Team Scott? A couple things. Three, actually. One, most of the votes that you got, I noticed for the last name Martin. So you must have a large family. I don't know if that's the deal. I don't know if you like... Oh. I smell some home cooking. what we're not going to do is be dishonest about the fact that you are losing and there's not one name that ends in Martin. Also, Scott... How about the fact that you voted for yourself? Oh, come on. That's not true. Well, actually, it is true. <laughs> oh, you were, you were know that I can also see I forgot people. that you have access to the same Instagram account that I do. Shoot. All right, fine. So, all right. That, that theory goes by the wayside. With that being said, in mm-hmm. the last day, you have picked up some more votes. So, I feel like we should continue this. What would you say? One more week? I don't know. I, I think I'm a lost cause. I don't know. You have you have time. You have time to come back. Um, I mean, you have a very solid house. Well, here's my here's my my two other theories. Two, the whole Jasper thing, I think, threw things off because you choosing three people instead of one person, I think, threw off the equation a little bit. Those guys are popular. You said guests of Edith, Virginia. I know. I know. You what got I said. your. Hold on. Let me tell you what you got. You got your first choice was the first choice. And then you got the two last choices in succession. So you had me choose in between when you were just willy-nilly cherry-picking. All right. All right. So my, my final point here, <laughs> I underestimated 
So I chose how my house. good I am at this game. I, well, no, <laughs> I I chose my house based on survival during a pandemic. So I had the farmer, I had the the engineer, I had the Brittany does it all Anderson, and I had Ronnie with his uplifting. Insp- I had I picked a, a pandemic solid pandemic team. I underestimated our listeners' um, love of drinking apparently because you picked four bartenders. And are it's kicking, not are all, my butt. That is not all they do, Scott. Just because that's what they do for a living doesn't mean that they are not well-rounded enough to add other things to the house. I mean, and I, I feel like our listeners know that they're well-rounded. All right. So I guess I just picked a, you picked a better team, I guess. I'm just going to bow down to your, to your awesomeness. I will tell you, my team is so good. I now have people offering to join our house with meat, liquors, a cooking ability. I mean, we we're really, really killing it this with this right. house. I need, to, I need to come up with a new game that I can win. I think that you let this one ride a whole nother week, and maybe mm-hmm. if you're listening to this podcast, I need your votes. If you feel like my house is is the superior house, vote on our Facebook page or our Instagram account. Ruby, you mentioned in your intro that there's a new restaurant that opened during this pandemic. Yes, there is. So we are actually. This is very cool. Like I think that. Things are starting to, well, restaurants are starting to react to what's going on and opening models that are very, they're very good in this time. So Fat Kid Sandwiches, which is also part of Garden Party, which was the vegetarian concept, opens Wednesday. So you'll see this on a Monday. Fat Kid Sandwiches? Fat Kid Sandwiches. Yep, it's to go delivery only concept um, by the old, sous chef slash chef de cuisine slash pasture community. So I'm, I think maybe it was just a sous chef, but it's all it was pasture and co- pasture comfort community. Um, and they have, I, I got it. So the cheeseburger sandwich. Yep. It's a foot long cheeseburger. Cheeseburger sandwich. Cheeseburger. Okay. It has four jalapeno poppers on top of it. And I think the thing weighed two and a half pounds. Oh my God. You ate that? No, no, no. They, we can eat it all. No, no, no. I got an Italian and a cheeseburger. The bag itself weighed probably the same as a fifth grader. <laughs> you weigh as much as a fifth grader. Uh, <laughs> so I know you live in the city limits. Do they deliver outside the city limits? Um, I think that they're trying to. So right now, just in city limits, and near, okay, um, but we picked up. And I think they're trying to do a pickup model as well, which I think is brilliant. So we can put a link to that restaurant in our notes. Also in our notes, we're going to have many links to uh, all the good endeavors that our guest today, Duran Chavis, is involved with. Tons and tons. And he's here to tell us about how you also can get involved with all those good intentions. Happily Natural Day is a grassroots African Center Festival dedicated to uh, holistic health and wellness, cultural identity, and social change. And part of the work that we do with Happily Natural Day is urban agriculture and food justice, but it's not the entirety of it. Uh, but you know, uh, we do we we do food justice work. Uh, but underneath the platform of Happily Natural Day, which is a, which we just started as a nonprofit 
I took my last check from Lewis Ginner and filed my nonprofit paperwork. Uh, nice. So that's 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 what we're doing right now. Obviously, there's lots of places you can go with with the social justice movement. What was it about food and ag that that made you focus on that? Oh, that's a great question, man. Um, thanks for asking that. Uh, for me, it was. Um, for me, it was a conversation. For me, every the 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 the, the thing that how, the theme that always perked out to me or has always been on the forefront of my mind is that everybody has to eat, irrespective of your class, gender, sexual orientation, religious, you know, dogma you might follow, you know, sexuality. Everybody eats, right? So the question for me has always been if everybody eats how do we develop power and communities through food right and you know particularly you know african americans have had a very toward history towards agriculture in this country you know with slavery jim crow um and just ongoing discrimination right uh but i think food especially the act of growing food is one of the most practical, accessible uh, tools of resistance that communities can utilize to take their power back, right? Uh, when I say take your power back, I mean, you know, health-wise, you know, we live in communities that don't have access to grocery stores or just healthy food in general, then the act of you growing your own food is you practicing agency and determining for yourself what, you know, your input is going to be, you know? And then on a, on a, on a, on a, that's just the individual level, right? But on a communal level, the act of growing food is, it builds community. All civilization through human history has organized itself around the production of food. You can go back to Mesopotamia, ancient Egypt. You know, anytime you saw a town or a village evolve that turned into a town that may have turned into, you know, a province or a state or a nation, it all started because the people were able to develop a system of growing and storing food. So how do we as as community begin to regenerate the bonds that are necessary to beat back, you know, institutional racism, you know, uh all types of oppressions that you know evolve from our disconnectedness and our lack of independence with one another thing. So, you know, I started growing food because to be honest, I was, it was, a, it was a, it, it took my rhetoric, it took rhetorical conversations around consciousness and raising consciousness and raising awareness. It took my organizing from a place where it was just policy oriented to a level of direct action that also revealed the necessity for personal development 
just like you know the adage you can't change the world without changing yourself right and all that comes out of like you know nothing you can you, you're confronted by yourself when you got to go out and farm and garden it's like you're doing time in your own mind when you're at out in the farm so it's a really uh amazing space for mindfulness and quiet too but at the same time you get to shift realities and community so when did when did that all click with you I mean, i'm guessing you you were doing other things like a bunch of other things in the in that space when did it click that food was the way to go was there a moment was there an epiphany um i often often talk about there's like being a light there was like a lightning rod uh, there was like a, a a lightning bolt that stroke that struck when we started McDonough. You know, uh, it for 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 the work before that. You know what I mean? We you know we did a lot of stuff. You know, and it was all valuable, and we've met a lot of people and done a lot of things. But um, the moment we put shovel to dirt and began to transform the built environment. Uh, I, I, I personally notice a different type of satisfaction in, in, in the type of, in the work that we do and, and, and in our community work, but then also on another level of like resource generation, right. It was like, okay, now I can quantify impact in community. It's a different type of measurement when you know, you're talking about, well, I want to help change people's minds, right? How do you assess that? What does that, what does, what does that, what does that look like when you evaluate the change that you've made, right? It's a very hard type of thing to, 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 to put your hands on and grasp. It's very nebulous. But when we say we, when we go out to transform the built environment, I can quantify that. I can I can I can put a sheet of paper down and I can say okay and to in this year we planted 150 fruit trees we transformed x amount of square feet of space we grew x amount of pounds of food you know what I mean um we built these structures you know what I mean all this stuff that book in connection with the narrative of the work uh that we uh do around you know just uh, uh trying to dismantle these systems of this institutional racism you know being able to put a qualitative analysis you know what i mean to sure. our, our quantitative stuff it, ooh, that that for me has been a very proper type of work i mean it it, it, it it's, it's it's not anything that just hangs out there like, oh, so what, what are y'all really doing? Are you really making, are you, you say you're doing work in community. What does that work look like? And I go like, well, <laughs> these, are the, these are the metrics that we've, you know, uh, accumulated. Well, I watched your TEDx RVA speech and that was incredible. And you discussed the food deserts in Richmond and how you're trying to assist with making them no longer deserts and i'm guessing this intersects your happily natural day intersects with that pretty predominantly correct yeah so uh, 
Well, the way that this, the way the nerd, the way the story, uh, to tell my story, uh, we started Happily Natural Day in 2003. I was working as the uh, as a as a museum coordinator for the Black History Museum Cultural Center, Virginia, and you know we did uh, the, the the museum didn't have enough money for its uh, annual jazz concert that year. And I asked them if I could use the parking lot in the back to do uh, what we would entitle Happily Natural Day. Um, you know, vendors, speakers, music, etc. So we did that 2003, 2004, you know, just kept doing it. And by virtue of doing Happily Natural Day, I met African-American farmers. And those farmers became you know, my mentors to a degree were very, just very close to me. And um, in 2008, by virtue of that relationship, we started doing pop-up uh, farmers markets, connecting farmers to communities that didn't have access to healthy food. Started in Churchill, moved over to Battery Park. Then from Battery Park, moved over to Brooklyn Park. Um, we would, every Saturday, sell uh help uh the farmers uh selling vegetables we sell 20 pounds of vegetables for 20 dollars to people in the community accepting food stamps and the whole thing and we would do that every summer so 2008 uh 2009 2010 and then we started our first community garden in 2012 which is mcdonough community garden and from mcdonough community garden we moved on and uh, started working with uh, Renew Richmond all the time. You know, we're still doing the festival Happily Natural Day. It's still going on. Uh, uh, started uh, well, working at Jerusalem Connection, which was a one-acre urban farm down the street from Channel 12. And then, you know, we started uh, Swansboro Community Garden, George Wythe, uh School Garden. Um, let's see, what else? Oh, uh, Farm Strong, which is a f- urban farm next door to Armstrong High School. And then um, I ended up getting hired in 2014 by Virginia State University to lead their indoor farm project, which is the Harding Street Urban Ag Center. Uh, it's an indoor farm in the middle of Petersburg. It's an old YMCA that was transformed into a, a, a indoor farm producing food aquaponically, aeroponically, uh, vertically, with solar power on the roof, commercial kitchen in the back, cold storage in the back. Um, We did that from 2014 to 2016. 2016, I took a job at at, uh, at Lewis Guinness Botanical Garden and I worked there until March, April when COVID hit. And so, yeah, that's the story. You know I mean? That's the narrative. I mean, you can pick up pieces here and there, you know, different articles or what have you, but the contiguous narrative is that we've always been active in community doing work around health and wellness and the most uh, tangible, uh, practical practice of that manifests itself in our work around urban agriculture and food justice um, in the city and, well, throughout the region. So now we do... You know, when I was at Ginner, we uh, did the Ginner Urban Gardener training program where we train people in community on how to develop green spaces. 
for food access issues and climate resiliency and environmental justice. Uh, when I left there, we started doing a resiliency garden project. Well, right before uh, when COVID started closing stuff, we started doing the, the resiliency garden project. And when I got let go, we just kept doing it and we're still doing it. And um, yeah, everything else is kind of like what you see on the social media, us farming, us uh, 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 building raised beds and coordinating volunteers and getting stuff delivered to people. Can you talk a little bit about the raised bed project? Because I know when I first heard about that, it was it sounded super interesting. What is the goal there, and like how does it how does it all work? So uh, the resiliency garden project is designed to help increase people's access to healthy food. You know, uh, through COVID, lots of folks lost their jobs or lots of people were laid off. So we said, okay, well, you know, one of the things that's going to be challenging is if people don't have if people have less money, then that means that they have less food. Uh, and uh, once uh, COVID started hitting, really started seeing shortages of food and different types of products inside of the grocery store. So, you know, I try to figure out how we can help people, you know, uh, have more immediate access to food in their um, in their in their homes by the virtue of them growing their own food. So, if you're food insecure, you can apply for a raised bed. You can go on our website, click the link, put in your name, address, phone number. And you'll be put into a queue. Uh, volunteer, once your materials are ready, they'll contact you uh, and um, come out and build you a raised bed. Uh, six by four in size, uh, t- uh, 12, 12 inches high. It's about a cubic yard worth of soil. Um, and then uh, volunteers will also bring you some seedlings to help you get your uh, raised bed started. So it's really simple. It's nothing complicated at all. Um, it's really our way of trying to help people connect to where their food comes from, as well as um, help mitigate people's uh, lack of food access. Um, we put a priority on communities that are formerly redlined. So um, it's, uh, it's definitely about trying to connect people who haven't had access to, because even before COVID, people didn't have access, but even more so they're impacting now. And how many, about how many homes have you, uh, have you impacted so far? Um, I know we're over 200, wow. um, at this point. That's great. Um, yeah, I, I, I think, uh, we're closer to like 225 or something like that. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Are you able to disclose how many people are in the queue currently and hopes to receive something like this? We, I think we got like a hundred and then maybe 120, maybe a little bit closer, maybe around a hundred. And 20 people that are still waiting uh, and for, for their boxes. Man hours and cost for each bed. What does that look like? Uh, it takes about a, it takes about a, about 30 minutes to an hour to put a box together, and it's about 150 dollars per box. So yeah, so you do the math. Yeah, I know you're gonna let he needs about 30 grand or a little under 30 a little over 30 grand and that's just if it's baseline So yeah. man is like he, it probably takes him two or three hours and he's just being And then it's gas because we're de- exactly. you know, people to drive out to spaces. We're going out to Petersburg sure. Monticello, you know, we're all over the Piatan. I drove I drove out to Piatan and built a box the other day so it's like, and that's if your queue doesn't grow. I mean, we're just merely talking about what's currently there. But if your queue right, right, right. grows, then that, yeah. So I mean, that's like 
formidable and amazing thing that you're doing. So it's, I mean. it's been wild. It's, it's, it's uh, thank you all of my vol. Any of the volunteers is listening or like that. We'll be listening to this, man. It's only because of the volunteers that we're able to do what we're doing. I mean, how many people uh, do you currently have volunteering for you? Um, we have we have over a hundred volunteers registered. Um, I think on a any given day we probably got about like five or six people that are out doing stuff. Um, but it fluctuates, you know. What I mean, some people are like more active at different points. You know, people come in for about a week and then maybe like they step back or you know, job situations change. So I'd say probably like active like a regular volunteer base of about twenty. 25 people. We have like over 100 people that have registered to, 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 to volunteer with us. Can you share a story of someone whose who's life you've impacted with your work? Um, you know, I try not to be There's probably several. Sure. Yeah, I try not to be exploitative like that and be like, well, you know, I changed this person's life. You know, that's a very... It's a very courageous thing for anybody to say, you know, like, and, you know, I, and I know people like to say stuff like that, like, yeah, you know, I did this thing and I gave this person some stuff and their life was forever metamorphed as a result. I mean, that's just a very single story kind of thing. I don't want to, I don't, I don't like try to get into people explicitly, you know what I mean? Um, I, I don't think people would like to be like, yeah, man, he said he changed my life. <laughs> it's a very narcissistic thing to say, <laughs> but I will say that, you know, we have supported people directly in this work, you know, all across the city and a lot of, uh, 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 what do you say, uh, communal community building has resulted in the development of the spaces that we've been involved in. I'll take, for example, Bra Rock Community Garden, uh, Bra Rock Community Garden uh in the last two years has become a space where people are not only growing food together but every tuesday before it was just an open you know green space just you know it was just open grass right um and there was a couple raised beds there but we took and enhanced that space and now every tuesday night they have mindfulness and meditation at Bra rock community garden right and you know uh, there's regular kind of like community food events where people are like cooking and grilling because we installed grill space and fire pits there. So community members are doing events where they're feeding people in the community. You know, food is being grown there. I was just there the other day. And a group of kids were like picking blueberries off of the blueberry bushes that are there. So, I mean, I don't know. Is that changing someone's life? I mean, like it's amazing. I mean, it's impacting people's lives in very real ways. But, um, you know, I let, uh, I think I'd rather the people speak for themselves in that regard. You know what I mean? But I think that whole visual sounds extremely impacting. I know growing up, um, food for me was super impactful. Like tomato season, I look forward to it every year. So this whole growing it's, it's just, it's just very heartfelt. And I love that. I just absolutely love it. Yeah. Did you grow up in Richmond? I'm a native Richmonder. I was born in Southside. Uh, my family is from Richmond. So, you know, I'm a Chavis. So if you hear about the Chavis 
transfer uh, company, the, the Chavis Trucking Company. You hear about Chavis's in Highland, uh, Highland Park or Chavis's on Southside or Chavis's from Charles City. My family is intergenerationally Richmond, right? Um, I, as a youth, you know, uh, like my elementary school years are spent abroad, but um, I've been here all my life for the most part. Do you live, I mean, I'm not gonna come to your house, but where do you live in Richmond? You should go visit him. I mean, I may go to his house. It sounds like he's, I may learn some tips on farming because- I I was raised in Southside. I was raised in Southside, but I live in Northside now. Yeah, I'm I'm a Northside resident now, yeah. I've been in Northside for the last three years. I have a brother and a sister that both reside on Southside that are both from here too. Um, I have children, my partner, you know, I got kids, I have uh, three uh, biological children and then three uh, uh, stepchildren. Uh, so I have a, you know, I'm responsible for six young adults. Um, that's, that's, that's not a small feat. Now, do they participate with you in your gardening social efforts? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to varying degrees. Um, my, my, my sons, my older sons, um, have always volunteered and been a part of the gardening work. Um, but I have a, I have a six, I have a, I have a 16 year old, a seven, 17 year old and a, and a 10 year old. So realistically they are in school. This is not the 1950s. They're like child labor laws. You're working at the farm. That's silly. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, sure. <laughs> my my uh, stepdaughter has her own body care uh, line. You mentioned, uh, so you she's earlier that uh, that um, the job at Lewis Ginter was impacted by by COVID. Um, being a parent, being a community leader, like how 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 have these last few months been? Losing that one job, notwithstanding, like how are you mentally, emotionally dealing with with what we're all going through right now? Well, you know, uh, to be candid, um, uh, I was a little bit uh, disappointed, you know what I mean, that uh, COVID uh, caused a reduction in uh, force at the garden. Um, But I'm the type of person that, you know, I evolved and, you know, and I, 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 I'm, I'm flexible, nimble, and I feel like uh, the last three months for me has been this, the 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 uh, epitome of how do you transition? You know, how do you uh, remain resilient in the face of crisis? Right. So, um, I grow food, man. Like I do, I find that I do that pretty well you know, decently. Um, the establishment of uh, Happily Naturally as a nonprofit has pretty much consumed most of my time. Um, the Resiliency Garden Project and, and, and the different farm endeavors um, have both been uh, focuses. And I think as a result of having, you know, these different projects on, you know, the table for me, um, it's kind of kept me Focus in a different way. I haven't really had time to be sad or depressed about like not having a job or anything like that. I mean, of course, I'm on unemployment. Um, 
but you know it hasn't really day-to-day activities of managing a nonprofit, of um, you know managing these projects, project coordinating for resi- for the resiliency gardens to get out here, has in a way for me kept me you know out of that stressful stressful place you know what i mean some moments are harder than others but because we are living in a pandemic it's like literally you know the rona is out here so uh but for me it's been <clears throat> that work has 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 given me uh life to a degree i mean i'm not just sitting around the house with cabin fever i'm like out here doing work on a day-to-day basis you, I, as I, we're Facebook friends and I watch you on Facebook and you have been, you're working hard. You currently are in the process of raising some funds for food justice in Richmond via a, a Facebook fundraiser. You, you are awfully close or almost halfway to your goal. If, if people can't donate money because of what's going on right now, what else can they do to help you? Uh, people can donate land. Um, you know, if you have a vacant lot that you own that you ain't doing nothing with, you know, or land out in the county that you own that you're not doing anything with, we can have that conversation about how we can utilize those, those spaces. Um, if you have equipment, you know what I'm saying, for farming that you're not utilizing, we can always have a conversation about that. Um, but we're always taking volunteers. So you always help with the delivery and building of raised beds. Uh, you can help us with fundraising. I mean, it, uh, you know, on our website, <clears throat> you click on the link for uh, the Resiliency Garden. Uh, the, the, the volunteer opportunities are all socially distanced. So you can, you know, pick your poison. What is, what is, can you grow seedlings? You know, would you like to do some data entry work? Well, I mean, would you like to, you know, drop off some soil? You know what I mean? Like there's uh there's plenty of opportunities for people to get involved. It's just, you know, what do you have time for? So I guess like if you don't have money, do you have time? If you don't have time or money, do you have resources? You know what I mean? It's like a lot of different ways to engage. Awesome. I was recently laid off as well and now in my head I'm like, you know what? I I have time to do this. So Yeah, get with me. Let me know. We can make some things happen, man, you know. You know anybody I'm with a truck? Terrible. <laughs> I, you know what? I do know somebody with a truck, and it looks like, as I was reading this morning, that you might need a box truck. And I also know someone with a box truck. So yeah. Like, maybe we can. Yeah, let's pull it together. That's definitely that would be way helpful. That would change the I, game. I, 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 he's. I think it's just hanging out. So we'll see what we can figure out. Because I, I was, I'm, I'm excited about what you do. I'm very close to. I mean, obviously, I love food, but this is just taking it to another level. So I think it's awesome. No doubt. Thank you. You've been in the in the in this space for obviously a decade or more. What this year, notwithstanding, what changes have you seen in Richmond since you started? Um, this this program and this this activism and then and then and then we can talk about this year. So I, I kind of want to separate the two because this year I feel like yeah stuff is still in flux. So, so before <laughs> so before 2020, you know, you growing up in Richmond, you you being here your whole life. What changes have you seen during that time that either has been good or, or frustrating for you? Uh, good. Uh, the things I've seen as good is the city has uh, definitely had more of a focus towards uh, 
uh, racial equity. Um, over the last 10 years, we've seen food policy, we've seen pol policy toward uh, addressing po poverty uh, become way more intentional and deliberate um, in the city infrastructure. Uh, we've also seen, um, you know, the food conversation become more uh, malleable, more practical, you know, with the city's Richmond Rose Gardens program coming online back in 2012. Um, that opened up a world of possibilities that didn't exist before with city land being available for uh, urban agriculture. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, that's just policy stuff. As far as uh, <clears throat> the conditions for communities of color in the city, I mean, it's pretty much static. It's the same thing as always been. Um, but I feel like as far as me, I have more, I feel like as I've grown up in this city, uh, I went from spectator to like engaged. Uh, and I think that people who are in positions of authority uh, on the city level are way more accessible, at least to me, you know what I mean? I don't know if it's for, if everybody's experiencing this, but I've been uh, doing this work for a long time. So I guess maybe it's a part and parcel of that. Um, nonprofit wise, you know, uh, there's way more uh, opportunities for people to engage in their community um, as far as uh, social justice work. Um, I don't know. I think that the city is developing uh, rapidly in certain places more than others. And um, that's a good thing, but it's also a bad thing because some people are, uh, when I say some people, especially like black and brown people are in many cases being left behind. Uh, yeah, and you, you all see it, you know, the gentrification is accelerating. It went from Churchill to uh, Barton Heights, Brooklyn Park, Battery Park. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's headed into Southside real heavy. Um, concentrated poverty is growing in, along the county lines, you know what I mean? So people are being pushed out of the inner city, out into like the fringes, into like Verina and North Chesterfield and all that type of stuff. Um, so, I mean, you know, it's, it's hard to say, you know, change is relative. I mean, what side of the equation are you on? I'm sure it's Sure, folks that are developers are getting paid, you know, still, and they're getting money, you know what I mean? <laughs> but uh, as far as communities uh, that are impacted negatively by some of this stuff, uh, in many ways, they're still scrambling, trying to find a way to stand resilient in the face of all of the struggle. Yeah. I know that part of your, your speech that you give um, when you speak in front of crowds is about um, the schizophrenic aspect of Richmond and yeah. how, and how uh, you know, the Capitol Confederacy and the monuments along Monument Avenue. So obviously these last, few, these last few weeks, we've seen some seismic shifts in attitudes, or maybe the attitudes were always there, but the seismic shifts in just the landscape, literally the landscape and figuratively the landscape. When, you, when you're seeing what's happening in your city, in your community, like what's going through your head? Yeah, um, I think... Uh I'm very excited that statues are coming down, um, but I'm also very critical of us as a people to not think that that's it. Um, 
my conversation is like, well, once all of the protests die down, will black people still be poor predominantly in the city of Richmond? You know, this is this is the this is the litmus test as to whether or not, you know, any of this stuff is really uh, going to transform the lives of black and brown people in uh, quantifiable ways, right? I mean, it's great to, to to not be able to not have to go see a Confederate statue, but if I if if black and brown nonprofits are still not funded uh, equitably, you know, in the same way that white nonprofits are, then what are we doing? You know what I mean? So uh, for me, I'm 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 I have uh, I have diabetes, so I don't really go out to protest in large crowds. Um, but my work is centered around food justice. And um, I feel like all of these things are inter- inter- intertwined and interlinked. So it's impossible to parse them out one from the other. And when you try to do that, you just end up, you know, creating false uh, dichotomies of, okay, this is more important than the other. It's like, yo, police you people, and they die from police brutality, but so does people. Black pe- people of color also die from uh, chronic diseases, right? And death is death. Doesn't matter if it came from the hands of a, you know, police officer, or if it came from you not having healthy food in your community. Both of those are examples of how the system has failed you. <laughs> you know what I mean? So essentially, uh, I feel like it's super important to, 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 to be operating on multiple fronts at one time. Uh, but I understand uh, that some of the more sensational stuff is what we keep our eyes on. And I try to ask people, hey, man, there's a, there's, there's a lot of other things happening here. So don't lose sight of the ball. Don't let nobody do three-car mining on you. You know, and you lose sight of where the ball is. The ball is do communities of color have power? It's yes or no question. You know, I think an ex- ex- exhibition of the, the thrust for communities of color ha- having power has been, you know, the tearing down of these monuments, right? But if it doesn't translate into economics, and Black and brown people are still in concentrated poverty and not just the projects, but concentrated poverty. Cause it's like, it's only like 4,000 some odd people that are in housing projects in the city of Richmond, but still 25% of the city is in poverty. So where the rest of the people that are poor, <laughs> they're not living in a housing project. Anyway, not to dismiss people in a housing project. Um, so yeah, I guess it's just, you know, it's important for people to be clear on what it is that communities of color need. And my conversation is that we need power. And that looks like direct action and policy changes. And then it also looks like uh, us having personal accountability uh, out here in the world. Well, I really, I can't tell you how great it is that you took the time early this morning for you on Sunday to talk with us. Um, 
I, I, I know Scott and I talked all week about how thrilled we were that you said yes, that you would join us for a nice conversation on Eat It Virginia. We have Duran Chavis with us, who is raising money for food justice in Richmond. Is there anything else, um, Duran, that you um, want to chat about? Maybe what you're going to do with the rest of your day? Yeah, I'm going out to the farm. Um, I just want to, you know, encourage people. You know, the the the, the fundraising is. Uh, for us to uh, do work in communities. And when I say do work, I mean transformation of the built environment, uh, help us, uh, the funding will help us uh, do what we did last year. <laughs> last year, when we worked for Lewis Ginner, our budget was $150,000. Now that we're out on our own nonprofit, uh, we need our budget to be $150,000 so that we can uh, continue doing the work that we started last year and continue to impact communities in terms of climate resilience and food justice and food access. And that stuff requires money, right? It requires the things that money can buy, right? The trees, planting trees, building permeable paths, building pergolas, uh, installing raised beds, you know, all that stuff costs money, you know what I mean? So you contributing to this work is helping us with practical, applicable, applicable, tangible impacts in our community. Um, so yeah, thank you for an opportunity to talk about what we do, uh, what we've been doing in community. And um, I hope to see if you can't, you know, see you all in the streets if you can't help, you know, with finances, man, time is money. You know, we can always use a helping hand. Uh, we like to see people who are able to volunteer. Um, in this work, uh, hit us up. You know, it's always this is this is how we build community. So your fundraiser on Facebook is raising funds for food justice in Richmond, Virginia. You are Duran L. Chavis on Facebook. Other places that people can get in touch with you if they would like to a donate money, b donate resources, c volunteer. Where are those spots? Uh, the naturalfestival.com is our website. Um, you know, it's Deron Chavis on any of the social media. Um, also, DeronChavis.com is my personal website. Um, you can also go to RVALandJustice.com is where we're raising money for land justice work uh, to try to help connect farmers to land uh, here in the region. So, yeah, looking forward to, yeah, those are the ways that you can get at me. And if I wanted to support those farmers by buying their produce or however that works, are there spaces that I can do that in Richmond? Yeah. Uh, one, of, we, uh, one of the ways is that uh, you can support the uh, Diverse CSA, which is uh, uh, my partner CSA program we purchase from local farmers. Uh, you can also stay tuned because we're about to start uh, the pop, uh, uh, Pick Your Own. Uh, operation where you can come to the farm and pick, you know, some produce for X amount of dollars. Uh, so stay tuned to that. Uh, there is no one place for you to support farmers here in the, in the city. You have to directly connect with individual farmers. Um, so, you know, I would say, you know, search out, seek out a farmer, pick, uh, purchase a CSA from them, um, follow them on their Instagram or their Facebook and try to find out where they are and go buy from them. It's not hard to find the farmers, man. They're out here. Uh, 
you know, especially uh, you can go you or you can go to Foreigner Family, which is a, a regular. This is CSA that operates on a regular basis. You can always get a share there. Um, so yeah, just find a farmer, man, or find a CSA, and get a subscription to somebody's farm, so that you can you know put those dollars back into local business. It's music. It's paired with Mark Lilly occasionally, right? With Farm to Family, isn't he's the he's the big blue bus? You guys. Yeah, um, me and pa, we 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 farm on three fourths of an acre next door to Farm to Family. Yeah, we're in collaboration with Mark Lilly and Susie Lilly. We've been working with them for over a year and developing the the, the farm site off of Mechanicsville Turnpike. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Well, again, thank you for your time. I'm I'm thrilled that my Sunday morning was involved to you, and I'm hopeful that you have. And no, stay indoors today. It's supposed to be really hot. You know, I'm that, only right? going out for a few minutes, but um, yeah, I just got to go meet uh uh the uh the guys uh at a at a farm local farm out here. Uh, we're gonna talk about doing some collaborating. So I'm I'm in and out, but uh, I appreciate the opportunity to be on a call with y'all, man. Thank y'all for sharing your platform with me thank you thank you for sharing all you have going on with us you are listening to Jerron Chavis I'm Roby Martin and that's Scott Wise and it's Eat It Virginia this episode of Eat It Virginia <laughs> Eat It Virginia <laughs> this episode of Eat It Virginia <laughs> no oh god no